Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. And I'm Inda NTR. Good morning, Inda. Morning, Mark. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing today? Uh, very good. I just had my first cup of coffee, so I'm ready for the day. <laughs> I, I've had I've had two already, Inda. Wow. <laughs> and, and I've, got a, I've got a third sitting in front of me, and the, and the first two were espresso strength, so I really needed wow. uh, people to get me going this morning. It's that kind of day. <laughs> It's that kind of day. It's that kind of day. But it's a nice day. It's beautiful outside. It's like that got that early fall feeling. Does it have that in Moncton too? Yeah, I think so. It's a little bit chilly. I, I mean, I'm indoors. I don't know. I haven't stepped outside yet, but feels a little chilly inside. So so tell me, uh, are, are uh, people in Moncton talking a lot about this election campaign so far? What are you, what are you hearing? Yes, uh, definitely. Well, the, uh, the Moncton Chamber yesterday um, published a... Um, a, a list of their priorities that they want a new government to tackle. Um, well, of course, on everybody's mind is economic recovery, um, you know, help for businesses to restart and to stay afloat and stay open uh, even after federal aid is uh, over. So that's one of the things that um, I think are on the minds of the business community here. Right. And you, you have a, a story on that um, in the huddle this morning. And, uh, you know, what kind of struck me in is there's a strong social focus to some of the priorities that they they outlined around, you know, issues like like homelessness. Yeah, I think uh, my in my conversation with John Wishart, the CEO of the uh, chamber, he mentioned that he's heard a lot of downtown uh, businesses, especially uh, you know, talk about the need for solutions for homelessness and uh, in the long term affordable housing. And there's even um, conversation there that we had about backing initiatives like Rising Tide or any other maybe models where the private sector can step in also and uh, help, uh, you know, push that forward. Um, and he was kind of hoping that there would be more funding um, coming through for affordable housing from the province. Right. And you get a sense in the, from, because I know in a lot of cases, you know, you have, uh, you know, like downtown business associations, and this could be in cities around North America that, you know, are, are, you know, are concerned about, you know, issues like, you know, you know, panhandlers and the visible presence of homelessness, homeless people on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get a sense of kind of authentic engagement on, on, you know, content, sort of attacking the root causes of, of, homelessness and, and poverty here um, and not sort of just simple band-aid solutions around homelessness that make make sort of the business community more comfortable yeah I think I think that well there there's been dialogues and conversations especially from frontline um, uh, frontline people who work in in with those experiencing homelessness about what what needs to be done and rising tide is one of those initiatives where uh, there will be wraparound services and it will be led by nonprofit and social agencies um, kind of uh, it will be affordable housing with the support services that's needed and that's been what's been talked about for uh, I would say like about the last few years um, as something that works. Uh, the city of Moncton has already, uh, through its support, uh, has already thrown its support behind Rising Tide, um, I think sometime earlier this year or the year before. Um, but uh, yeah, we're waiting for the province to see what uh, what's going to happen there. And I guess COVID would have some uh, some impact on how, you know, the province would budget 
its 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 uh, funding and spending. Right, and I think John John had said to you, um, I think in his interview with with you that he had seen more more visible signs of of the uh, of the issue in on the streets in Moncton since COVID. Yeah, yeah, that he mentioned that as well. Right. Yeah. No. And I mean, it is good to see uh, business communities, you know, businesses and the organizations like the chamber in, engage on this issue because it's, uh, you know, it's certainly something into two here in, in St. John. It's probably been around 20, well, actually 20, 25 years where the business community here has been kind of pretty actively engaged on on those issues. So mm-hmm. I remember when you pitched that story at me yesterday, and, and uh, I, one of the things that struck me with the chamber releasing its priorities, it really did kind of stand out that coming from this, you know, business community organization was this, you know, focus on on an issue like homelessness, of course, in amongst all of the other you know, priorities they have around, you know, economic recovery and growth. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also the concern of, you know, when there's momentum of investments um, happening in the city, in a city like Greater Moncton, in in a region like Greater Moncton, where um, we were seeing that momentum before COVID-19. I think there was concern that the reputation uh, of of a place like this could be hurt um, by issues that are not like that are unresolved like that so uh that was what something that was something that john also told us in in the in interview all right well thank you for sharing that with us and i i wanted to you know we're obviously this uh we're we're here um to talk about uh, you know introducing the next in our leaders uh, series of interviews our special um series for huddle home office but i wanted to be able to touch base with you too on the reporting that you're doing around the election and and sort of the, the you know the business community's priorities for the election campaign so thank you very much thank you so uh so i'm going through and i'm having you know a series of conversations with you know the five uh, main party leaders leading up to the election and uh last week uh i spoke with uh, david coon from the green party who has three seats in the legislature and uh, this morning, uh, today, we're talking to Chris Austin, the leader of the People's Alliance, and who also has uh, three seats in the legislature and is another one of those uh, parties into that's holding the, the balance of power in this, uh, you know, in, in this the legislature that we just concluded with. And uh, mm-hmm. definitely in this campaign, we're, we're looking to whether or not we're going to see another minority government or if there's going to be another majority one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go to that conversation. And, uh, All right, Mark. Well, hi, Chris. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And how are you doing this afternoon? Where, where am I finding you? Uh, I'm in Fredericton. We're at our party headquarters. Um, we made a campaign announcement uh, this morning and just been spending the afternoon uh, making some phone calls and connecting with uh, some voters. Very excellent. Now, I when I connect, I connected with uh, with uh, David Kuhn yesterday, and I was sitting in the fog here in St. John, and and he was, uh, you know, uh, in the rain in Fredericton, both of us indoors and protected, of course, uh, from the elements. But um, it's a much better day today. It's like uh, the fog has lifted and it's sunny in St. John. Uh, what's it like in Fredericton? Yeah, both the same. It's a beautiful day, but you can tell the, the fall is definitely coming in. The temperatures drop quite a bit, a little bit of breeze out there. But uh, oh, you got to love the fall season. It's, uh, it takes the heat down a little bit, a little more comfortable. Much better for campaigning. Eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how, how have things were about a week in now? Uh, what's it like for you campaigning, you know, during, you know, during this time where we're still uh, taking the precautions uh, in the pandemic? 
Well, this is the, the fourth provincial election that I've run in. Um, so I can tell you it's it's the weirdest campaign I've ever <laughs> had to uh, operate under. Um, you know, traditionally, you, of course, get, you got your door to door. You know, you have rallies, you, you have events that you're going to, breakfast, dinners, uh, community uh, organizations putting on different things. This time, it's there's none of that. It's it's uh, it's it's odd, um, but it you know it, it makes you expand your innovation to find different ways to get your message out to the people. So, you know that's something that we're uh, we're working on, and um, you know we had uh, we have social media platform that we use quite extensively, and uh, this time around we're going to be using a lot more uh, TV ads and that type of thing. Right. No, I know um, you, you're, you can do a limited amount of, of kind of in-person. Do you have, have kind of people calling and saying they want you to come see them? Or are you kind of trying to do limited kind of outdoor campaigning um, where you're not knocking on doors, but you're able to see people? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is when I, you know, I get a call for a sign. Now, as a party leader, I spend a lot of time on the road, but I, I certainly want to give attention to my own uh, writing here. So, you know, if I get a call, somebody wants a sign, I do my best to personally deliver it and uh, put it in the ground. And then sometimes they'll come out and you have a chance to chat with them on that angle. Um, you know, we go to the coffee shops, the local coffee shops, or, you know, grab a bite to eat for lunch and have a chance to connect with some people that way too. Um, you know, we're, we're still, you know, making that connection with the public. We're just not not as aggressive as we would have been in the past, you know, with a door-to-door, cold-knocking type of campaign. Right. And now the, the last time you and I had, uh, an ex, you know, a, a lengthy chat was actually during the, the campaign, uh, the last campaign uh, two years ago. Um, you know, you've been, uh, you know, in the legislature for the last two years and, and working in this minority government situation. And how are, how are you feeling about things? What's the experience been like over the last couple of years, um, you know, compared to the last campaign that you would have run? Well, the first two years uh, when we were elected in 2018, um, you know, it was really a learning curve. I mean, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today and um, we didn't have the benefit of being a traditional party that had all the infrastructure and, and human resources in the legislature to guide us along. So when we were elected, um, we went in there, you know, fresh. I mean, there was no, which is good and bad. It's good that you get... Uh, kind of an outside the box way of thinking and looking at things, but it was a challenge in terms of, you know, legislative process. You know, we walked in, we didn't know where to sit, <laughs> you know, so you spend some time kind of going through the uh, the day-to-day dealings of, of the legislature, when you can speak, when you can sit down, when you stand up, uh, you know, how it works to present bills and motions. And so there was a, a lot of, um, a lot of learning that, that was done the first two years uh, and then we also had, of course, to uh, figure out how we're going to negotiate with government, how hard we're going to push, um, you know, to get some of our ideas and policies enacted. So first two years was good. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with our team. Uh, despite the challenges of being new, uh, we were still able to, you know, hold government to account while still seeing some of our ideas uh, moving forward. So uh, overall, it, it went quite well. In terms of your, you know, your your party platform, which I know is is going to be, you know, very similar uh, this time around with some of your sort of core values and, and policy priorities, it, it has much changed about the way way you think and the way your party's thinking with with the pandemic. Has has it changed the way you see your core policy and values? Have you seen shifts there? 
Well, not really, because a lot of the things that we're looking to do um, are relevant, you know, before COVID and they're going to be relevant after COVID. Um, you know, we've talked about things like, you know, reasonable language policies. We, we feel, you know, we, we, we certainly support the fact that New Brunswick is a bilingual province, we, but we just don't support the way it's being implemented. And really for the last several decades, uh, there's been this rigid kind of, um, you know, approach to, to how bilingualism works in New Brunswick. And what's happened as a result is, uh, you know, a lot of unilinguals, whether you're francophone unilinguals or anglophone unilinguals, they're denied employment, they're denied um, seniority in jobs, they're denied advancements. And then on top of that, you know, when you look at the policies of bilingualism and how it is implemented in New Brunswick, it's not attainable. So we have lots in the civil service that they're just not meeting the mark simply because the mark is not realistic to begin with. So we're doing everything we can to try to bring a more reasonable approach to that. And then, of course, you have the issue of taxation and big government. Uh, you know, we're a party that believes in small, efficient government. We believe in low taxation. And, uh, you know, we believe low taxes is what's going to help our economy and get businesses to grow and new businesses to come. So, you know, those things are all relevant inside and outside of a pandemic or whatever else uh, comes our way as, as a province. Um, those policies, I think, will remain the same. Do you worry? And I know we did talk about this. We went talked about this in the in the um, in in the last campaign. And you know, you've had two years now thinking about this and 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 experiencing as you try and reshape policy on this. But do you do you worry? Because I mean, obviously, New Brunswick sells itself its bilingual status as as a real strength, right, and as a real mm -hmm. asset. In the same way that you know we're you know turning towards you know immigration to make the the province more diverse do you do you worry that your approach to language um it might uh might still turn people off just in terms of it not promoting that sense that of bilingualism here well i mean there, there's always going to be a few that are going to misinterpret what we what we're saying and then you of course you get your political opponents that will try to amplify uh the naysayers but you know, our position, you know, when we talk to people and we explain what we're really looking to do, you know, whether they're Francophone or Anglophone would agree with the position that we're taking. And again, it's not about diluting or taking anybody's rights away. It's about, you know, reflecting the reality on the ground. And, uh, you know, for example, before the election, we, we spoke a lot about paramedics, you know, um, the, the language requirement for paramedics. And they have this high threshold of language requirements or they had high threshold of language requirements for, for paramedics, which they were not able to, uh, you know, obtain. So paramedics were still not bilingual working on, on shifts. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it really wasn't an issue. I mean, there was very few complaints that came in re relating to that. So what we simply said is, look, why don't we take a rational approach to this? And we did, we, we worked with government. Uh, we, we, you know, propose some ideas and policies, which, uh, you know, we demanded that they move on. And as a result, we've seen paramedics, uh, Anglophone and Francophone, that were unilingual, um, get permanent full-time work. And, and what that does, it doesn't just give the paramedic uh, permanent full-time work, but it also helps in response times on the ground, because now you have more paramedics that aren't, uh, you know, calling in sick or are unable to fill shifts, because now you have more of them available to do the job. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's what we wanted and, and we've achieved that. So we'll, we'll keep pushing for that reasonable ras rational approach to, to language on, on different files. 
Right. So you think, you know, we can kind of maintain, maintain that, yeah. that strength as a bilingual province, but, but take that pragmatic approach to, um, when it makes, when it, when it, when it makes sense, uh, English only, French only. Well, that's it. I mean, you can look at the demographic of the province. You can clearly see statistically, um, you know, where, you know, where there's a higher threshold of Francophone population, a higher threshold of Anglophone populations. And then there's some areas where you get a mix. Um, you know, you can look at uh, Dieppe and Moncton. I mean, clearly you have a, a, you know, quite a strong mix there of, of both linguistic communities. So you're going to need a higher threshold of bilingual civil servants in those areas. Um, but in other areas where you have, say, a 95% Francophone population or a 95% Anglophone population, I just think we need a little more rationale and common sense applied when it comes to jobs in those areas. Uh, kind of on a, on a similar vein, but kind of on, on immigration for, for a minute. Um, when you and I spoke a couple of years ago during that campaign, you know, you, you talked about, uh, you know, supporting uh, immigration, but at the same time wanting to put a priority first on making sure that unemployed New Brunswickers, um, you know, filled available jobs. And, you know, over the last couple of years since then, it's become you know, a very, uh, you know, a hot topic in the province. And it's something that a lot of people push for in terms of increased immigration. Mm -hmm. And I know that, um, you know, we did encounter some issues over the last few months of, of, you know, not being, you know, work employers, not actually being able to, to fill jobs at the, you know, existing workforce and the debates over, you know, opening up uh, the province to migrant workers again. Uh, Has your thinking changed or evolved since that campaign on, on how to uh, you know bring in newcomers and uh, to not just to fill available jobs, but to make the the province a more diverse place. Well, I guess somewhat it has. I mean, uh, my opinion always has been that we need to welcome immigrants and and realize that New Brunswick uh, is always in need of immigrants to to fill a workforce. And you know, the recent example, of course, is a temporary foreign worker program with agriculture. Um, but what what I find incredibly frustrating is every year, and we've done this for 20 years, we bring in temporary foreign workers. They work for whatever, 15, 20 weeks during during the harvest and summer season. And then when the harvest is done, they get on a plane and they go back to their, to their, uh, to their countries. And uh, like to me, it should be, and, and then the next year comes around and, and they do the same thing. They come back, they work and they leave. They come back and they work and they leave. What I would like to see is some of these folks come here, uh, be accepted into the province, and uh, you know, be a part of the solution uh, to the to the workforce shortage here, and become citizens, so they can actually live here, pay taxes here, you know, and be a part of our, our society here in New Brunswick. And and again, I think that can be done without minimizing uh, opportunities for our local New Brunswickers because there's jobs out there. I mean, that, that it's clear that there's jobs out there. We talk to businesses all the time. That are struggling to, to just get workers, any any workers. Um, so you know the opportunities are there, but there has to be a balanced and reasonable approach to uh, to how we you know give locals uh, you know a good crack at the jobs, um, but be able to fill it with temporary, not even temporary, but really uh, immigrants to come in and be part of society to uh, to make up the difference. Right. You know, one one of the things that, um, and of course, this this will unpack, uh, you know, a lot of issues, both economic and cultural, Chris. But I was, you know, you know, revisiting your your platform, um, and of course, I had, you know, the benefit of sort of talking uh, recently to David Kuhn, and I, you know, I, I noticed uh, 
that, you know, from, you know, issues around, uh, you know, corporate taxes to, uh, you know, the environmentally responsible use of, you know, of natural resources to uh, a focus on farming in rural New Brunswick and, you know, your, uh, and I know I'm going through a laundry list now, but the, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, um, your appreciation for minority government and criticism for corporate ta- giveaways that there's quite a lot of, of overlap between the way you, you see um, the province evolving and, and the Greens. Have you, have you noticed that? There seems to be some real connecting points there. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe when we talk about issues like corporate welfare, um, you know, or food security, I, I could certainly see some similarities. Now, I find the Greens, you know, to be honest, are, are much more left-leaning, um, you know, and not not to be rude in any sense, but I, I think they have you know, a little more pie-in-the-sky kind of ideology than we, we try to be more rational and, and realistic about what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, but yes, I mean, in terms of like corporate welfare and, and again, my, my objection to corporate welfare is just simply the handout of millions of dollars with no accountability where that money goes. And I would much rather see a province that has a low tax rate, um, that all businesses can benefit from. And that way we're not picking winners and losers on, uh, these handouts. And I mean, you can look at the, the hundreds of millions of dollars that has been given out to, to corporate interest in New Brunswick over the years. And there's zero tracking of how many jobs they produced, how long those businesses remained. Um, there's just no accountability for any of that money. So, you know, again, I'm not I'm not opposed to government helping in in certain areas, but there has to be there has to be some accountability to how many jobs have remained when when the money runs out. And and again, my first objective is to have a tax system in this province that doesn't tax any profit out of businesses uh, because they won't stay and new ones won't come. So, you know, low taxes is a key, key element of our, of our uh, thinking uh, to, to get the economy up and running. Right. And then um, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're speaking about things, about uh, things like, like payroll rebates and that sort of thing uh, that companies are, are offered to come in and, and set up operations here. Yeah. And I mean, payroll rebates might be the exception, you know, and if you're talking about a short term bump, um, you know, again, it's not my first choice. My first choice is tax reduction, but payroll rebates at the very least, the job is produced, then the rebates given. So, you know, the job, you know, has come to fruition based on the amount of money that's come out, but it's more the forgivable loans and the unconditional grants that are given out um, based on a, a business plan. But again, the money goes out and there's no accountability to whatever happened. You know, did the business stay in, in uh, you know, open? Uh, how many jobs were obtained through that grant? Uh, why didn't the company pay it back? You know, and if, if, it was a, if it was a loan. So, you know, there's just a real lack of, of tracking the money after it's been delivered. Um, and, and, and I do take exception to that. Right. And, and I do notice you still have in, in your platform also, you know, uh, issues around fair taxation and, and, uh, it, it, you know, specifically I'm thinking of the, the industrial tax, uh, around equipment, which was a, you know, obviously a big issue here in St. John around, you know, big, big operations like the refinery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and again, it's, to me, it's about not just the fact of taxation, but it's the issue around where do those tax dollars go? So in New Brunswick, we're the only province in the country that taxes the way we do, where the province actually taxes the properties 
and it doesn't go to the municipalities, it doesn't go to the local areas, it goes to the provincial government. And the double tax is one, uh, and there's other taxes that, that would fall into that category. Um, but, you know, when you talk about machinery and equipment, as it, like to me, if you, if you reform the tax system, you give the municipalities the opportunity to set a tax rate on machinery, machinery and equipment, um, and, and that may be offset by other property taxes. So you, you kind of let the municipality take the charge on taxation rather than the province having a blanket approach, um, you know, through, throughout the province that really just doesn't make a lot of sense. And we're the only province that does it this way. It's a draconian tax system. Um, and, and it's complex. Uh, it, it's not a, it's not a quick, easy fix, but it's something that definitely has to be tackled if we're going to have any, any chance or any hope of having a, a robust economy. And, and what are some of the way, other ways that you would see, you know, prioritizing, uh, developing the economy? What are some of the other important issues for you? Well, we've talked also about the small business tax of having a complete elimination of the small business tax. And not only for the fact that it would help small businesses, but <coughs> excuse me, could be a marketing tool for outside businesses that want to come in, you know, to market that across the country and across the world to say, look, if, if you come to New Brunswick, you know, when you start out as a small business, um, you don't pay taxes, you know, or at least a small business tax. Uh, you may pay some municipal tax and, and uh, income tax, that sort of thing. But you know, just as a marketing tool to try to entice some businesses. So, you know, there's, there's different, uh, different avenues we can take. I, I think, I think we've got to be open to uh, uh, resource development that's done uh, reasonably again with, with environmental parameters and safety and all that sort of thing and, and fair royalties to the province. Um, there, there's opportunities in New Brunswick. And I think for too long, we've said that we're closed to business and uh, it hasn't fared well for us. So that, that mindset has to change. And I know, obviously, you must have seen, uh, been happy to see some gains made on the double taxation issue. We were very pleased. Uh, we worked very hard, uh, very diligently to push the government to include that in the budget. Um, and, and we had success. The, the government put it in their budget that they would reduce the double tax by 50% with uh with uh, over two over one year and then 50 percent the next year so that you know in, in year two you have the elimination of double tax which is what we were pushing for unfortunately covid hit and the government got cold feet and backed off that plan of uh, double tax reduction and you know it, it's my understanding alberta did the opposite when the when the pandemic hit alberta uh started cutting taxes to allow um, industry to, to, and businesses to have a fighting chance. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you can do one of two things in the middle of a pandemic to, to help businesses. You can either hand out money through programs, which go to specific businesses, or you can go the realm of, of tax reduction, which help all businesses. And I prefer the latter and it's more, it's more long-term. So it's not a one-time handout. You know, it, it's something you can carry forward on year on year on end, and, uh, and allow new businesses to come and, and the businesses that here have a fighting chance of retaining some profit. Right. And the double tax issue is an interesting one because, you know, that's been, you know, a, a priority for a while to, to, reduce, to reduce that or eliminate that. And I'm, I'm wondering if, um, you know, after having been, you know, in, in the legislature for a couple of years, having influence on policies like that, um, it, and then COVID hits, right? Yeah. And, and you know we're dealing with with that. If 
if kind of the reality of losing that revenue is is difficult, um, it, it even is. if you think it's the right thing to do. It, it is. And, and I understand that. And that's why we have uh, shifted a little bit there. And instead of, you know, going for the full elimination or the, or the fit, even the 50 percent, we've we've tried to come a little ways and say, look, uh, let's do 25 percent reduction over four years. So it doesn't take as big a hit on revenue, but also, uh, you know, changes the tax structure over time. And, and the thing that people don't understand, you know, in New Brunswick, we have a huge housing shortage and the rents in, the, in, in this province are ridiculously high. And a lot of that is attributed to the double tax because landlords are paying this double tax and inevitably they're passing it on to tenants. So tenants are paying the double tax, they're paying high rent. And then what happens is developers will not come to New Brunswick and build apartment buildings and put up uh, infrastructure because they can't make the same profit they'd make in Nova Scotia, Quebec or anywhere else. So you have a housing shortage. So we said, look, if you eliminate the double tax, you can give developers and landlords a little more of their profit. And you can even freeze rental rates so that, that that income that they are able to retain as landlords can trickle down to the tenants and until the market corrects itself. So I think there's opportunity there uh, in elimination double tax, not just for businesses, but for everyday people that pay ridiculously high rent. It's, it would help them in the long term as well. Right, because t- people tend to see that issue in terms of the break that it would give, uh, you know, that it would give the owners, but, but there is that kind of, there hopefully is that trickle down where you're going to see people, you know, save on rent. Well, yeah. And, and we would ensure the trickle down for three years by enacting legislation to make sure that rents are frozen. And, you know, unless you're talking significant renovations to the property, but uh, we would freeze rental rates by law. So landlords could not raise rent so that we see uh, that ability. And then eventually as new developers come in, you're going to have more opportunities for different apartments and homes so that people have more uh, opportunities to to move, and and of course, when you have competition like any other business, um, that's when you get good rates and you get the best price and the best bang for your buck. So you know, apartments and 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 living arrangements are no different. Uh, I'd love to get some of your thoughts, and I know this obviously is, is shifting with COVID. There's no no doubt on kind of you know the future opportunities for the province to develop economically. And I know, obviously, uh, you know, in the last few years, there's been a lot of focus in New Brunswick on, on, you know, the traditional industries and, and, and the governments and, and, uh, you know, producers out West are still, you know, pushing things like the pipeline that they would still love to see get built here. Um, you know, there has been renewed discussion since the election, the last election on, you know, natural gas development in the province. And so, we, you know, we've been kind of focused on those big energy debates. And I know they have died off in the last little while to an extent as conditions have changed. Um, uh, but how, how, do you, how do you see the province? What are some of the, 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 big, the big ticket items and the small things that you could see helping us grow economically? Do you still support things? Do you support things like pipelines? Do you support natural gas developments? Do you see other opportunities for us to pursue? Well, yeah, I think there's tons of opportunities. We, we did support the pipeline. We still do. Um, there's no reason that we cannot export uh, oil from the West, which is being produced regularly. Of course, it's taken a major hit now with COVID, but nonetheless, it's there. And we're importing, importing oil from other nations. It just makes no sense. So, you know, and you can look at the, the Lac Megantic and that tragedy there with the rail cars. You know, to, to bury a pipe um, many feet under the ground to allow the oil to travel through um, just makes more sense. It's safer and, and it, uh, we have the largest oil refinery 
uh, right here in, in our province in, in St. John. And we even said, you know, if, if there's excess oil that can be refined, let's look at the opportunities for a second refinery uh, to, to get the province, um, you know, going economically. Um, and in terms of shale gas, I mean, you know, we've, we've been cautious with shale gas simply because of some of the environmental issues, but um, we've always been open to it. We said, look, if, if it can be done right, and, and we can get uh, the, the best bang for our buck as a province because what you don't want is to take the, the, the natural gas out, shale gas out, and uh, not take it at a time when it's at its you know, highest level because you lose. Once it's out, you've lost it. It's gone. So you want to hit it when it's hot. I'm not so sure it's hot right now, and, and that's my concern. But, you know, if it rebounds, I think we need to look at it again and see what what can we do to to benefit the people and it's you know really about jobs and and uh, economic growth. And do you think it is it realistic to to have uh, you know true partnerships with in, indigenous communities on that in the province? Because I know that's obviously been something that's been you know huge obstacle here. Yeah, and and I mean the reality is that has to happen. Uh, you know there has to be consultations with with indigenous communities. Uh, you've got to talk to the local communities as well to make sure that they they have incentive and buy-in. Uh, you know, I think there's there's enough potential there that everybody, uh, Indigenous, local communities, governments, and, and residents can benefit from uh, resource development. Um, but, there, you know, there is skepticism in terms of the safety, environmental issues, and all of that. And, and, and you know, you can't downplay that, that those are legitimate concerns. But... Uh, technology is always advancing. Um, companies are learning how to do things better and safer. And as they do that, uh, we can learn from mistakes of other jurisdictions and make sure they're not repeated here and do what needs to be done, uh, you know, again, to, to grow the economy. Because so long as we continue to say no to everything, um, we're going we're gonna to continue to be one of the poorest provinces in the country. And at some point, we've got to say, you know, it's, it's time to move forward and, and do it right and, uh, and see New Brunswick prosper. Right. And obviously on the, on the fossil fuel issues, I'm sure that that'd be a, an issue where you definitely divert um, from the Green Party. Do you, you know, thinking back to our earlier converse, part of our conversation, but do you see also opportunity for um, renewable development? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, renewable, renewable development is, is the, the next stage of energy. I mean, that, that's, that's clear. Uh, I'm, I'm not you know, going to be naive and say that oil is something we should rely on for generations to come. I mean, oil eventually is going to be phased out. Technology is going to get better. And, uh, and we, there's no reason we shouldn't be using solar and wind and tidal and, and whatever else we can use as renewable energy. That is the way of the future. Um, I guess where we differ maybe with, with some of the, the, the green members is, you know, they see like a hard cutoff and, and I, I'm more realistic to say, look, I, I agree. Renewable energy is critical, but there's got to be a transition there and you can't just have a hard cutoff. You have to be able to transition out of fossil fuels and into renewable energy as technology advances. And look, it's advancing all the time. I mean, we're, we're further ahead now than we were even 10 years ago. So the more we advance and the more energy we can get from solar and wind and, and tidal, then the better off we're going to be. What about your approach to to rural development and um, you know on food security uh, and, and and issues around farming and aquaculture? Well, the the COVID has has and the pandemic has taught us one thing very clearly, and that is New Brunswick is much like other jurisdictions. We're too reliant on 
uh, other parts of the world. We rely too much on China. We rely too much on on uh, neighboring countries, uh, the United States, and and even um, you know parts of Europe, especially for things like food. I, I mean, food is an essential thing. It's it's one thing to say, you know, uh, to, to buy a TV that's made in China, but when you're looking at your food, um, once that supply chain starts to break down, you know, you're 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 vulnerable and and. COVID has taught me something very significant, and that is that we need a, a much greater push towards food security. And, and there's no reason New Brunswick has massive amounts of farmland. We have some of the richest soil in the world right here in, in our province. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be investing more into greenhouses and farming and, and uh, you know, things that can produce some security. I mean, obviously in New Brunswick, we're never going to have a shortage of potatoes or maple syrup or blueberries. There's things we produce here that there's an abundance of, but when you get into things like vegetables and, and other, you know, food sources like that, uh, you know, we're, we're vulnerable and, and we need to, to step up and government needs to create programs and assistance to make sure that, that we are secure in our, in our food. So we're not relying on other countries to look after us. I noticed, you know, last week that that food security issues came up uh, a lot on on the campaign trail, and obviously, it's on a lot of our minds, especially because of of COVID nineteen. But it it struck me that you know it was one of those areas where there seemed to be all party agreement on on tackling, and it. I'm I'm curious to know your your thoughts. Um, uh, on how to make minority government work, and it, it it strikes me that that this issue is is one in particular that uh, you know if there's another minority government produced after September 14th, that this seems like it's one of those issues that that could be tackled collectively and collaboratively. Yeah, and and you know when we talk about minority governments, uh, you know for the first year and a half, you know we our three seats, our three members really controlled the balance of power. And, you know, we were able to work very, you know, well with the, the government, you know, again, to get our policies and ideas moving forward, as well as hold them accountable to some of their issues and pull back when, when they pushed a little bit too hard in areas we didn't want to go. Um, and this is what we are stressing to the public in New Brunswick is that, you know, first minority government we've had in 100 years, it's been an exceptional uh, government and, and the vast majority of people in this province recognize that, that, that the legislature has worked very well and, and people are overall very happy with the current legislature. So my argument is simply why go back to majorities when minorities are working so well? Now it's got to be a working minority and this is where it gets sticky. Um, you know, when, when you have, you know, uh, two variants of, of opinions where you can't find any common ground, then you lose stability. And we have always said, you know, um, we will provide stability, you know, when we can find like-minded parties that, you know, as the PCs have, have been in the last two years, to be able to find that common ground to create that stability and still get things done and still hold them to account. So it's, it's a best case scenario. It's one we're hoping for on September 15th that the chips fall in, in the way that they are now and, and that we have more seats to have more leverage, um, you know, to be able to get, uh, get some of these things done. Yeah, and I do. Um, you know, obviously, you have you know two parties uh, in in traditional parties in in the progressive conservatives and the liberals that are you know they're used to they're used to to operating with majorities, and that's what they're always looking for. Um, you know, but I even when I mean when I was speaking with uh, David Kuhn about this, you know, he expressed something similar to you, and that you know he the other two parties will be hoping to secure majorities. 
Um, he said that even if his party was the one that won, that he would he would think it works best as a minority. Um, this is David Kuhn that I'm referring to. Uh, and I get a similar sense from you that that you think that this kind of system where people are, are forced to work, and I hate to use the word forced, <laughs> it sounds yeah. like that, but, but to That's work it. collaboratively um, is the best way to do it. Yeah, it, and, and it really is. And um, But again, there has to be some common ground because what you don't want is instability. Like we don't want to be going to the polls every every two years um, you know, because you have, you know, some far left leaning parties that, that are trying to work with, you know, right leaning parties. And, you know, that's where I think, um, you know, with, with us in the mix, you know, we're able to, to create an environment that, you know, can move the province in the right direction, but yet still hold government to account. And that, that is the key is that, you know, in majority situations, government, you know, they're one party, they can do whatever they want and nobody can really stop them or, or hold them in check. In minority, that's that's not the case. So we can still move in the right direction on economic development and lower taxes and smaller government, um, but it, you know, still have that stability included there too. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I'm confident that the New Brunswick voters will return a minority government and uh, with us and, uh, and whoever is, is in power, um, you know, we, we can certainly move that ahead. Right. Do you, do you see common ground of you've been working the last two, you know, two years with, uh, with the conservatives? Do you see common ground with the liberals if that was the kind of minority that was produced? Um, I'm sure there's areas we, we could work with. Um, you know, I mean, the, the former Premier, uh, Premier Gallant in the last election made it very clear that uh, he had no interest in working with us, which <laughs> in a minority situation, I think was kind of a foolish thing to say and, and kind of sealed his fate because, you know, I don't know if it was just the old majority way of thinking, but um, they no longer held the power. We did. Um, so we chose which way we, want, we wanted to go. And, and I mean, realistically, we, we were, you know, a little more aligned with the conservatives on that front. And so we decided to go with, uh, with the conservatives on that. But, um, you know, yes. I mean, we we've said from the start we'll work with anybody, and and you can see in the legislature we've supported even a, a green bill on glyphosate spraying when when they when Mr. Coon presented a bill uh, to to end spraying glyphosate on on Crown land, we supported that. And uh, there's been uh, uh, the Liberals put forward a motion on taxation on on uh, taxation for uh, properties that are turned over uh, in in the event of a, a death. So we supported that because it made sense. So no, I mean we're not we're not um, uh, we're not opposed, I guess, to to supporting bills. If it makes sense, we'll we'll move forward on it. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I I really uh, appreciate you chatting with me. Yeah, well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, wish you well. Yeah, and and best of luck on the campaign trail. Great, thank you, Mark. All right, bye bye. Bye now. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office and my interview with People's Alliance leader, Chris Austin. Thanks very much, Chris, for joining us. And that is the uh, second in a series of uh, special feature interviews that we're doing with the party leaders in New Brunswick. And we interviewed uh, David Kuhn, Green Party leader David Kuhn, last week. So you can find uh, on our website and uh, on uh, podcast platforms, uh, our interviews with Chris Austin and with David Kuhn. And next up will be uh, Liberal leader Kevin Vickers. And so uh, thanks for tuning in and please keep tuning in. Uh, Huddle Home Office is uh, produced by me, Mark Legere, Sharice Letson, and Tyler McLean. 
and you can find uh, Huddle Home Office on your preferred podcast platform. And uh, we will talk to you uh, on the next episode. Bye for now.